The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Yes, John, the 15th chapter. That's where you want. I want you to open your Bibles. And this uh, is a very familiar passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about him being the vine, and we are the branches that are attached to the vine. And tonight I'd like for us to look at verses 5 through 8 as we will discuss the subject of prayer. I've decided to suspend our study of Galatians for just a little while, and maybe some of you are happy to hear that because we've, we've spent several months just looking at the doctrine of justification from just about every angle. And as we go into the fourth chapter of Galatians, uh, things don't change very much. In fact, we have to get pretty deep into that chapter before it starts to change just a little bit. But I've decided that I would do this because I feel like the Lord is just leading us in, a, in another direction for just a little while here. And, and that is for us to be concerned about putting the doctrine of justification into practice. And that means telling people that they can be justified, that by faith in Jesus Christ they can be justified by their sins, uh, from their sins rather. And as we know, justification is the cardinal doctrine of Christianity, but it doesn't really do anybody, anybody much good if they don't know about it. So we need to tell people about it. Now next week in our service, as I've been announcing, we'll do something different. We'll, we'll meet here for our... Uh, come together here and then we'll split up into prayer groups and we just want to pray that the Lord will bless our church in the area, especially in the area of witnessing, sharing our faith with others. So we'll break up into our prayer groups on that night and uh, I've also mentioned to you that we've, uh, for years and years and years, Baptist people have called the midnight, uh, midweek prayer service or the midweek service the prayer service or they call it prayer meeting and we don't do a whole lot of prayer during the prayer meeting. Now, what we do do is that we study the Word of God, and that's appropriate. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't study the Word of God, and I'm not trying to pit a study of the Bible against prayer. Both of these things are needed, and we're going to see that as we look into this lesson tonight. It's important for us to know the Scriptures, and also important for us to pray. Now, so tonight, in preparation for the all-church prayer meeting, I want to talk to you about prayer. And uh, we want to pray that God will get us moving, that he will bless our efforts to multiply our church by sharing our faith in Christ with others that are dying without him. Now, in John chapter 15, Jesus speaks of the vine and the branches. He is the true vine, and we who are believers in Christ, true believers in Christ, we are the branches that abide in the vine. Now, the vine is the nourishment of every aspect of our Christian's life, of the Christian life. I mean, we must be abiding in the vine because that's the nourishment that we receive. The vine produces the spiritual growth and produces the spiritual fruit. And among those fruits is the addition of others to the numbers of God's people. Now, if you'll notice the scriptures in chapter 15, beginning at verse number 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, 
and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Now, there's a lot that I could talk to you about concerning the background of this passage. Jesus uses this symbolism of the vine and the branches. We could go back into the Old Testament and we could look there and we would see how that Israel is referred to as the vineyard of God. But as we look at this scripture tonight, our purpose is really not to go into all of that detail, the background information, but I'd like for us to look here and see how that Jesus connects all of this information uh, to prayer, and we see how that he ties it into the concept of abiding in him, abiding in the vine. And the seventh verse, he says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now there we see that prior to instruction on prayer, that Jesus speaks of the value of the word. That the word of Christ must be in us in such a way that we relate to the desires that he wants us, uh, that he wants of us, and that we are in harmony in his will, that the will that's expressed in his word, that we prioritize the very same things that he prioritizes or things that are most important to him. So we live in Christ. He is the vine. We are the branches that issue forth from him. And those that are branches, true branches in the vine, cannot consistently be anything other than what he is. And so to abide in the vine is to continue in the faith that's been brought or has brought us into the relationship that we have in Christ. We're justified by faith, but justification doesn't stop or our faith, I should say, does not stop with our justification. The scripture says the just shall live by faith. And there's a dual meaning to that verse. It means that the just shall live eternally because of faith in Christ, but it also speaks of a temporal sense that we live temporally. We have a sustaining faith, and abiding in Christ is the steadfastness of continuance to live in that faith. Now you notice that Jesus says that those that abide in him, those that continue in the faith, can expect to receive answers from him. Now here, we're not actually told to pray in these verses. Uh, we don't see anything, we don't see the word prayer mentioned here in the passage. But it's already presupposed that abiding Christians are believers that pray. An abiding Christian is one who draws life from the vine through this constant interaction that we have with God, that through the nourishment of God's word and the divine direction that we receive from prayer, that we receive that nourishment and then branch out or we bear the fruit that God would have us to bear. Now, abiding Christian is one that prays according to the word of God. Now, that's evident by what Jesus said previously in the 14th chapter, where he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now there when Jesus uses the word commandments, he means the word of God. That is synonymous with the word of God. And so how is it that Jesus manifests himself to the child of God? Uh, how does Jesus show himself? I mean, we, are we like those that claim that they see, vis see visions of Christ, that he appears to us every now and then, or that we hear the voice of Christ audibly and that's the way that he manifests himself to us? 
But we know that's not correct because we look at the context of the verses that we're speaking of here. And in John chapters 13 through 18, Jesus is talking about going away from the disciples, about leaving them, because he was on his way to the cross where he would be crucified. And aside from the post-resurrection appearances that he would, he would come and he would show himself to the disciples then to prove that he had risen from the dead, we don't find anything that tells us that Jesus promised that he would be present with us any longer in a physical sense. But he does tell the disciples that the Holy Spirit would come. Uh, They won't see him again in this life, but that he will be an abiding presence through the Holy Spirit, and they would know that he was in them. So how do we know that the Spirit is in us, and, and how does he manifest himself to us? Well, he does that by our abiding in him and by the keeping of commandments. He does it by the fruit that is produced in the Christian life. Now, I want to show you how that prayer... Uh, asking and receiving answers from God is very closely to connected to some great achievements for the Christian. Now, first of all, we would see from the passage that prayer glorifies God the Father. Now, you are no strangers to the teaching that everything that we do is to glorify God. It is the duty of every Christian to have first and foremost in his mind how that he can glorify God with his life. God expects us to glorify Him. And if you want to know how to keep from falling into sin, before you ever do anything, before you ever take the next step in anything that you have a mind to do, ask, does this glorify God? Will this action glorify God? And and that is the chief concern for all of us. Are we glorifying God? Now, we can see here in verse number 8 that one aspect of our duty in glorifying God is plainly connected to prayer. That when a Christian prays, and he prays according to the commandments of God, the answers that God gives will glorify the Father. Jesus says in verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Now, the fruit of verse number 8 is the answers to the prayers of verse number 7. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So when the Father answers our prayers, what that does is it shows the virtues of our loving Heavenly Father. His works are declared. Much fruit is produced. And that fruit can be, start with perhaps the physical and the material things that we have need of, but more importantly... Those fruits are the Christian graces that are produced in us that demonstrate that the Father has made a change in us and that we are being made more like Christ. The Father is glorified when His children have produced in them the love, the joy, the long-suffering, the gentleness and goodness and so on, those things that are described as the fruits of the Spirit. And that's true in the lives of all abiding Christians. All Christians do produce some fruit. Now, there are examples that stick out in our mind. If we think about biblical examples, we would probably, the Apostle Paul would be one that would call to our mind very quickly. That when Paul met Christ, and, and when he was converted, and when he began to bear the image of Christ, the love that God had for him caused him to turn around and to be as earnestly a compassionate soul winner among the Gentiles, people that he hated, as he was previously a self-confident righteous, self-righteous persecutor of all things that are Christian. 
Now the Father is glorified by those kinds of changes when, when it's evident in our lives that we are completely different from what we were before. And we think about what happens in the lives of Christian people and we see uh, how that God manifests himself and his works are manifested by, by such things as looking at our missionaries and the work that they do. We have missionaries in both uh, Uganda and Kenya that are very, uh, very eagerly employed in the care of destitute orphans. Our missionary in Brazil makes it a regular part of his ministry to take medical doctors and dentists into the jungles of Brazil and Peru in order that he might give those natives the gospel of Christ and also some relief from their suffering. And as you think about those missionaries, the Father is glorified because his care and concern is shown for the world. His care and concern is manifested through the work of those people. The work that Christ did in reaching souls with the gospel and then the compassion that he had for their physical condition, all of that is carried on by those who have have been attached to this vine and the the vine is, is, is spreading out the nourishment or giving the nourishment that changes the person's life and causes him to do things that he otherwise would not do. And so the Father's work is made conspicuous as he answers our prayers. And prayer is the means of accomplishing those marvelous works. This is the means that God uses. And so when you pray, you need to remember that there are great consequences that are attached to prayer. You must understand that God commands prayer. It's one of the ways that he is to be glorified. And if it's our duty to glorify him, then how can we neglect Pray, praying. I mean, he's told us to do this. And so if we don't pray enough, then what we need to do is to rearrange our priorities so that we do. Prayer has lasting, eternal consequences. There are consequences for you because God promises to reward you for the works of righteousness that you do for him. And there are consequences for others because prayer is the means that God uses to accomplish his will in the world. People are reached and they are helped through our prayers. Now I think about that and as I look at the lives of great prayer warriors, I can understand why there's so little time when somebody who is a good prayer warrior, why there is so little time spent praying for self and for personal needs. Prayer warriors don't usually do that. What they're more interested in is that the love of God and the works of God would be broadcast from sea to shining sea. So rather than concentrating it down into the, just the local, localizing it into the individual life, what can happen in just to me, a, a great prayer warrior spreads that prayer out and, and, he, and he prays for, for other people and that God's kingdom would come to the earth and that God's, God's glory would shine throughout the world. And, and the more people that come to know Christ, the more that God is glorified. Now, let's relate that then to the purpose of this teaching tonight. How is the Father glorified? Well, he's glorified by the revelation of salvation to those that are dying without Christ. Now, Jesus said that we should pray that God's will would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Now, in heaven, all the host glorify God. And the way that we glorify God here is for all of the world to come to the recognition of who God is, that he deserves to be glorified. And so we should pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest. Why? Because God is glorified when people come to salvation and they recognize that he is God to whom belongs all the glory. 
So it's really a matter of a simple mathematical equation that the more people are saved, the more glory will go to the Father. Now, to take that a step farther, God, the prayer glorifies the Father, and secondly, prayer multiplies our fruit. Now, again, in verse number 8, we see these words, that ye bear much fruit. And that's an indication that there are varying quantities of fruit that are produced by Christians. And, I, and I'll reiterate that Christians do bring forth some fruit. And if you claim to be a born-again believer and that you are connected to the vine, you must bear fruit or else you're a dead branch that will be taken away. Unfortunately, there's been so much teaching on carnal Christianity and people... Many people think that, well, I I really don't have any fruit in my life, and they excuse themselves from that by saying, well, I'm just a carnal Christian. That's why I'm a Christian, but I'm just a carnal Christian. That's why I don't have any fruit. But the Word of God indicates that true disciples of Christ follow Him, and if there is no fruit, then that Christian is not, or that person is not actually a Christian, but he's actually a dead branch. Now, to put that in another way, we could think of the parable of the soils that's given in Matthew 13, And there was only one type of soil, if you remember, that received the seed, and that seed represents the gospel of Christ. Only one type of soil received the seed. Now, there was a type of soil that was too hard for the seed to penetrate. There was one that was too stony for the seed to take root. There was another that was too weed-infested, a patch of ground too weed-infested so that the seed was choked out. So each soil there represents the human heart, and there was one soil that was good soil. And what does the Bible say about that good soil? Here is soil, or the human heart that's been prepared by the the Holy Spirit, and the soil received the seed, and this is what Jesus says happened, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. So varying crops of fruit are produced. And so this seed and this soil definitely produced fruit. And the quantities of fruit indicate that Christ expects a bountiful harvest. A harvest to the point that when we get to our text in John 15, he calls it much fruit. So how are we able to produce much fruit? Well, we take it back to the ministry of the Word. This is God's Word at work. And God's Word is powerful enough to produce much fruit. So how do we connect the vine and having the Word of God to producing fruit? Well, the connection is actually prayer. The conduit to receive the effective ministry of the Word in the Christian life is is prayer. The amount of fruit that we produce is in proportion to the amount of cleansing that we've received by the Word. So we produce fruit, and then we produce more fruit, and then as we are cleansed by the Word, we produce even more fruit. And I hope you recognize that when we talk about this, we just moved out of the area of justification into the area of sanctification. That the amount of fruit that you're able to produce is tied directly to the way that you handle sin. The more sin that you have in your life, then the more your fruit will be restricted. It's just like having a garden that's overgrown with weeds. If you don't take care to eliminate the weeds, then all of the nourishment of the soil is sucked up into those weeds and the good plants don't thrive. And that's what sin does to you. That if you feed sin, then there's no nourishment that goes into the works of righteousness. Paul addressed that in Romans chapter 6, and he speaks of being delivered from the power of sin, and he says, 
Uh, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? So once you were the servants of sin, but you've been delivered from the dominion of sin, because and that, that, that sin has never produced any fruit, no righteous fruit. Then he says in verse 21, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But as we're sanctified, we're freed from sin, and we produce the fruits of holiness. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So the Father is glorified when fruit is multiplied. Staying in the Word and being purged by it, making application by praying that fruit will abound, that causes the multiplication that God desires. Now if you look at verse number 2 in John 15, you see that the Father purges the branches that are in the vine in order for them to bring more fruit. And that purging is this progressive sanctifying work that we're talking about as we continue to abide in Christ. As we think about the multiplication of fruit, almost every commentator will note that Christian graces are a part of that fruit. You go to Galatians chapter 5, and there you see where it speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. But we would have to ask, is that the only type of fruit that is produced? Well, I hope not, or else... uh, I'm not going to really have a point to the sermon, after all. That there has to be some other fruit than what we're talking about in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. So, in preparing for the prayer meeting that we're going to have next week, we are going to ask God especially to multiply our fruit, the numbers that we have in our, in our, in our congregation, to multiply the numbers of people that we have in our, te- in our, in our church. Now, we would have to ask about this then, is that proper application of John chapter 15? That when he speaks of fruit, is it a proper application to speak of the winning of souls to Christ? Well, I would say that there are some who make that the only application of it. And that is certainly wrong. But neither is it right to exclude this as a proper application. And that's demonstrated to us in verse number 16 where Jesus says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go for, go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Now there we see once again his statement is tied to prayer. That's in the last part of the verse. And Jesus said that he wants us to bring forth, or speaking to the disciples, telling them he wants them to bring forth fruit that will remain. Now, I'm sure all of us can attest that the apostles, all the original apostles, are dead. So how is it that their fruit remains? Well, we could talk about the change that happened in their lives, and we could see what different men they were once they came to Christ in faith, and how that they were personally uh, changed by him, and, and they have become or did become great examples for us to follow. But is that really the main intent of verse number 16? Well, it, it seems more likely that what he's talking about there is the fruit that remains is not the good testimony of the apostles that was left behind, although that would be a part of it, but rather it's speaking about the souls that were won by that testimony. We have Christianity today because the apostles did not sit still. 
They went out and they reached people. Souls were won to Christ and churches were established. And then those churches did the same thing. They perpetuated themselves, perpetuated the church by going out and spreading those seeds of the gospel. Now what Christ wants is remaining fruit so that more seeds will be produced. And that's why that he gave the Great Commission. See, Christ is not himself a, a, a dying vine. He is a living vine. And the proof that he's living is that in every generation there is more fruit. And if there was no more fruit, then we would quickly come to the uh, conclusion that Jesus didn't really arise from the dead, that actually God is dead. And, of course, there are plenty of people that believe that there is no God or they believe God is dead or they believe that God has no interest in the world. And if there is no more fruit, then how could we prove that that wasn't true? And who would be here to prove that it wasn't true? Well, there has to be abiding fruit. There has to be perpetual fruit. And there is because Christ gave the Great Commission. And in that commission, we have the promise of a perpetual church that is perpetual fruit. So how does that fit with prayer? Well, the last part of verse number 16 says that when you ask the Father, he will give it you. Now, he alone is the one that causes the fruit to grow, and he gives fruit according to his divine will and his purpose. He doesn't tell us how much it will be and who it will be, but he does promise this, that he will give fruit. And so if we ask him, if we pray to him to give us uh, a fruit for our labors, he will give us fruit. That, that's what the passage promises. And that's what we're doing, and that's what we will do. We will pray especially for this, that God will give us fruit for our labors, that God will multiply us according to his divine purpose and his will. And you'll learn that an essential part of, of getting the gospel out to other people is to pray before you do. That is, the Holy Spirit that opens up hearts. And we must pray that the Holy Spirit will do that. Now, prayer is the means to accomplish that. that that's how the heart gets open. We pray about that. Just as the gospel is the means by which people are saved, so prayer is a means that's been ordained by God for people to, to, to hear that gospel, for that gospel to reach out to them. Now, there's, a, there's one other wonderful achievement about asking and receiving Prayer glorifies the Father, and prayer multiplies our fruit. And thirdly, prayer authenticates our faith. Asking and receiving authenticates our faith. Now notice the last part of verse number 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So shall ye be my disciples. Now there's a version of Scripture that very well clarifies this. The NASB says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, if you bear fruit, doesn't that prove that you are abiding in the vine? I mean, did you ever see a grapevine that's been pulled up by the roots and cast aside? Have you ever seen one like that that would actually keep bearing fruit? Well, it doesn't, because that, that branch or that vine is dead. It can't produce anything. So no fruit on the vine means that there is no life there. And conversely, that if we do produce fruit, that means the life of Christ is in us. Now there is no one that can produce the fruits of Christianity without being in the vine, without actually being one of God's children. There are those that may show something for a time and may actually fool people 
into thinking that they're Christians, but closer examination proves that they're actually, they actually are not. Now, John says something similar in 1 John. In our text, he records the words of Christ, and he talks about the obedience to commandments, and he expands on that in 1 John chapter 2, where he says, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Now that's what you call a tit-for-tat relationship, that only those that abide in Christ can keep the commandments, and only those that keep the commandments are actually abiding in Christ. And so if you want absolute assurance of your salvation, then pray to God that you will produce fruit. And when you pray about that, take the whole thing. I mean, ask God for those Christian graces that he gives that are fruits of the Spirit. Ask for that fruit, but also ask for the fruit of souls that are one to Christ. And that production of fruit is found in the purging of your life and the cleansing by the word and the desire that you entreat, that you have to entreat God that your fruit might be increased. Now, some would say that uh, the secret to this whole process is prayer. But it's not really a secret at all, because there's nothing clandestine about what Jesus says here. All, all of this is open and just lying out there on for the surface for us to pick up. And I think there are far too many people that are looking for secrets. That there, there must be a secret to actually winning people to Christ. There must be something that we don't actually know or something we have to find out, that there are ways to grow a church, but it's really a difficult thing to discover. And the church growth movement, they, they've determined that souls will be won by some type of clever methodology. And so every year, every few years, you see something new coming out as the, and declared to be the latest, greatest thing that enables us to win people to Christ. There are some that believe that souls will be won if you sneak up on them, if you capture them and, and, and you get to them before they have time to mount a defense against you. And to a great extent... That's really the crux of the invitation system. It's not that way in all places, but in many places, uh, the method is to get people whipped up into an emotional state and to play on their emotions in order to get a decision. One pastor said, and this is what he says in essence, that winning souls is the result of trickery and manipulation. And he said that as if it was a good thing. But here's what we need to do, trick people, manipulate them into making decisions. But we don't need clever schemes. And certainly we don't want to manipulate people into decisions. There is no secret to this. Prayer is where we start. And what we're going to learn in the next few weeks is that we are to take the very same method and use the same method that has been used for centuries. And that is to use the method that the apostles of Jesus Christ used and Jesus himself used in order to win people to him. The method that he gave is a timeless method and it does work because God designed that it would work. So we don't have to look for anything that's newfangled or different and, and try to jump up on people or anything else. We just take the way that the Word of God, the examples that we see in Scripture, how the gospel was presented to people and we take the same approach with them. So what do we learn then about prayer authenticating our faith? Well, when you see God answer your prayers, what does that do to your confidence? When God answers your prayer, how confident do you feel that he hears you and that he's working on your behalf? Well, he gives you fruit. The result of 
asking and receiving is that you receive the fruit, and that fruit tells you that you are connected to the vine. Remaining fruit that redounds to the glory of God shows that you are really connected to the vine. Now, I hope that everybody here, that you want that kind of assurance. When you bring people into the church, you'd be amazed the wonders that it does for your desire to serve God. I mean, when you see God working through you, when you see fruit that is produced, when you see efforts, your efforts in prayer produce something, then that's when you gain more confidence. A little fruit grows into more fruit, into more fruit, more fruit, and finally you end up with much fruit. Now, next week what we'll do is we'll concentrate on praying for fruit. I mean, we'll pray for the obedience of all the members of Brian Baptist Church, and we will encourage people to be here to pray. We're going to pray for the holiness of our people. We'll pray for the willingness of our people to speak to others about Christ. We'll pray for the courage to be able to do it. That's a part of it. We'll pray for more prayers to be prayed by our people. And I hope that you'll be a part of that. And I hope that what you will do is that you will encourage other members of this church to be a part of this prayer and of this effort that we have to reach more people for Christ. So we see that prayer glorifies God the Father, prayer multiplies our fruit, and prayer authenticates our faith. So what I want you to do is to pray. Pray for our prayer meeting next week. Pray for people to be here to pray next week. And we'll just pray that more prayers will be prayed. That's what we need to pray for. And then be here yourself, of course, to pray. And I hope we'll see all of you here then, and before then, actually, too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And though sometimes the, what we want to say is a little bit difficult to get out, maybe a little bit hard to understand and make all the connections, but um, we have some very clear truths that are taught by Jesus here that prayer is connected to the bearing of fruit. And we need people in our church that are willing to take time to pray about this and ask God to use them and to use others, to use the entire church to bring more people in, to hear the gospel of Christ. Help us, Lord, to do that, to be willing people that want to get involved in the efforts that we have over these next several weeks, especially then continuing on after that. So we, we ask for your blessings. We ask for the strength to do this and ask for the desire that it would be put into our hearts. And, Lord, that we would want to tell people about you. Bless us, Lord, as we leave here, and we thank you for all of your Great blessings that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.